ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Coming up later in today's feature report, Enrique Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will discuss the Elkhart Superfund site, which covers the Flex Steel Company's settlement with the EPA and state agencies regarding illegal release of trichlorothane, or TLE. And now for your environmental reports. The November 29th edition of the Herald Times has a front page story entitled, Why Did First Presbyterian Church in Bloomington Cut Trees in Brown County? The 23-acre property in question is near Highway 46 on the way to Nashville and has been owned by the church for decades. The trees to be cut were selected by a professional forester. The logging occurred last October. Someone living nearby was concerned that Quote, they took out the jewels and then left the debris, end quote. What would we like to point out is that there was nothing done out of regulation. In fact, the cutting was done in October, after the roosting season for bats. When the state's forests are logged, they are often cut in the summer during bat roosting season. The state also certifies that there are no bats roosting in that section, no matter how many are caught in the mist nets. Since Daniels was governor, the state forests have been heavily logged, going from 2 million board feet to over 10 million board feet. Yet, the public has voiced little opposition to this practice. Another excuse used by the state for extensive logging is that new growth forests are habitat for the roughed grouse. The goal was to reverse the trend of declining populations. So, how successful has this program been? The state estimates roughed grouse populations by going to several locations and listening for the drumming of males during breeding season. Over the last decade, they have not counted a single drumming. The state rejects the explanation that the grouse have exited Indiana because of global warming. In fact, in Michigan, the grouse are now north of Grand Rapids. Yet the state continues to use the new growth forest argument as justification for heavy logging. The state fails to recognize the value of mature forests in creating unique habitat. In the November 28th edition of the Herald Times, the lead story was what to expect in the 2023 legislative session. The topics discussed the story included economy is a question mark concerning the uncertainty of where the economy is headed in 2023. The legislature wants to keep spending to a minimum in spite of the likelihood of another huge tax windfall. Another area of importance was abortion bills not a priority. 
because the state has enacted a near-total abortion ban, so attention is likely to focus on such things as critical race theory. Another area was to make the high school's curriculum more relevant to today's job market. An example was that instead of calculus, a student might take personal finance. The legislature is likely to depart from Governor Holcomb's plan to reform public health in spite of Indiana's rank in the bottom 20 states for most public health metrics. The two other areas mentioned were making more affordable housing and some help in making college more affordable. The plan does not address the critical need for teachers, so the legislature apparently demands complete control of what is taught, all the while ranking 42nd in the teacher's salary. The legislature does not recognize that the extreme policy on abortion and the low funding in health care is likely to make recruitment of health care staff even more difficult. There was no mention of the environment. The legislature apparently is content with ranking third worst in air and water quality. Yes, our air pollution only adds a few thousand deaths each year from asthma. But the more important point is that those who profit from coal make huge profits. There seems to be no embarrassment over rejecting a petition signed by 20,000 high school students asking for legislation on climate change. It appears that using the phrase climate change is still forbidden. The fact that most climate scientists are predicting a 3 to 4 degrees Celsius rise in global temperature is of no concern. Our Republican legislators seem to view Indiana as a silo filled with corn and coal. Nothing outside our silo is of concern. In 1919, Indiana stood as the nation's number one maple syrup producer, boasting vast acres of maple forests. Decades of removing trees, however, made the statewide industry move to the back of the line in the scale of production. One hundred years ago, when Indiana reigned supreme in production, there were no major maple syrup producers in the state, Indiana Maple Syrup Association President Kevin Hart said. Quote, Rather, there was an abundance of small farms harvesting it as a financial supplement to the winter harvesting lull. End quote. Back then, maple would have been the sole source of sweetener, Hart said. Corn syrup wasn't around. Cane sugar and beet sugar were around, but very costly. But maple syrup was very available. The Indiana region had a strong reputation for the flavor and high quality of maple syrup. With gradual deforestation over time, the smaller farms disappeared, taking the maple syrup with it, Hart said. But the 1980s and the 1990s saw a bit of a syrup harvesting renaissance. Quote, the plastics industry propelled the maple syrup industry to what it is today. End quote. Benjamin said, creating the connection between local consumers and local producers has become crucial in kindling the fire of growth in the Indiana industry. Most people end up going out and buying corn syrup-based syrup over maple syrup. But buying real maple syrup has a direct correlation with the local economy as well as local ecosystems, Benjamin said. The USA has lost 3 billion birds because of a loss of habitat. Some of that is a loss of forests, and some of those forests are maple syrup trees. The warming climate could cause a loss of ideal conditions for sap flow 
in certain parts of North America, according to a new study. Temperatures need to dip below freezing at night and rise to thawing during the day for sap to start flowing from sugar maple trees. While the changes in climate could simply mean an earlier season for maple syrup farmers in New England and Canada, the study has found that the industry could be completely wiped out in Virginia and Indiana by the end of the century. The study, published in Forest Ecology and Management, suggests Quebec's syrup yields could double in that time, while they would decline across much of the U.S. IU News reports that among the dozens of presidents and prime ministers from around the world who attended the United Nations Annual Climate Summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, was a delegation of Indiana University Bloomington faculty and students. They got a rare opportunity to be in the room as world leaders and renowned experts discuss the urgent need to address climate change at the 27th Conference of Parties, or COP27. IU is one of few universities worldwide to send a student delegation to observe the COP. Quote, I really believe in the transformative nature of students and early career people participating in these meetings, end quote, said Jessica O'Reilly, an associate professor of international studies in the Hamilton Luger School of Global and International Studies and leader of IU's delegation. As a practical matter, what will the students learn? They will realize that the affirmation of the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal is maintained because of fossil fuel interest, who see it as a way to avoid doing anything. Most climate scientists say the 1.5 degree goal was lost years ago. They believe the best we can do is to limit warming to 3.0 degrees. These COP meetings have accomplished very little. They mainly serve to prove that there is discussion, not action. The other factor that gets buried is that China, as the pollution leader, is unwilling to take actions necessary to address climate change. The cold water fish, such as codfish, are leaving the Gulf of Maine because of water is now too warm. Similarly, the salmon industry has largely collapsed from California to Alaska because waters are too warm and because of overfishing and habitat destruction. There is no season for king crab or snow crab in the Bering Sea this winter. Given the trend in global warming, these historic fisheries cannot be restored. Two approaches will help. Large portions of the Arctic Ocean need to be set aside as preserves for cold water species. For example, codfish, pollock, halibut, herring, caplin, crab, and lobster. The Arctic Ocean is the last hope for many species. A treaty to do this requires only participation of the U.S., Canada, Denmark, Norway, and Russia. The second approach is to rely on fish farms. There are negatives to this approach, but the issue really is whether seafood will be on the menu or not. Nearly all the seafood we eat is from overfished oceans. If the worldwide fishing fleets were reduced by 90%, there would still be enough capacity to meet what should be harvested each year. A sustainable shrimp farm in Indianapolis celebrated its first harvest this month. The Shrimp Box, developed by Ataraya Incorporated, 
is the world's first plug-and-play shrimp farm housed in a traditional cargo container. Each unit allows for the production of 1.6 tons of shrimp in landlocked places you normally wouldn't get them, like Indiana. Atariah's CEO, Daniel Rusick, said that the shrimp box is a step towards reevaluating where we should get our food. We can optimize and have an updated food system that also optimizes for nutrition, environmental impact, and the whole experience of how you relate to food. The 11-year development of the shrimp box was all about creating a system that largely monitors itself via sensors, sends the data off to Atariah's servers, then instructs farmers what needs to be done to their shrimp farm. Rusick says this system allows for cheaper production without the need for a shrimp specialist on site. Rusick was inspired to create the shrimp box after learning about the environmental impacts shrimp farming has on the environment, including overfishing, habitat destruction, and coastal pollution. Quote, we learned that the horrible impact that agriculture in general, and specifically shrimp farming, does to the environment, and also the horrible labor practices that sometimes is predicated upon, end quote, he said. At the same time, we saw a tremendous opportunity in seafood demand. There is no faster growing source of protein demand than seafood. Adariah plans to deploy its early adopter program for potential shrimp box farmers in early 2023. And now, Enrique Sainz with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will discuss the Elkhart Superfund site, which covers the Flex Steel Company's settlement with the EPA and state agencies regarding illegal release of trichlorothane. Outside of sports, there are rarely any undisputed champions, but there's at least one in Indiana. The city of Elkhart is the undisputed champion of recreational vehicle production. The long and wide motor coaches and motorhomes you see out on the road or in truck stops crisscrossing the country, they're probably made in Elkhart. The city is known as the RV capital of the world because according to some sources, 80% of global RV production is based in Elkhart. The city carved out a niche for itself, but not without a cost to its workers, city residents, and the environment. The former owner of three RV seat assembly facilities suspected of contributing to a contamination plume that is now a Superfund site in Elkhart agreed to pay $9.8 million to settle allegations it violated state and federal environmental laws. Flexsteel Industries Incorporated agreed to sign a consent decree with state and federal environmental agencies to settle claims the company violated the federal Superfund law and equivalent state laws by failing to prevent the release of a cancer-causing chemical called trichloroethene, or TCE, as well as tetrachloroethene, also called PCE, and other toxic chemicals. Flexsteel denied being responsible for the contamination and said in a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filing, it only signed the agreement because it was in a company's best interest. The settlement pays for part of the cleanup costs already incurred by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the Indiana Department of Environmental Management at the Lane Street Groundwater Contamination Superfund site and will help fund future cleanup efforts. So, 
back to RVs. RVs are essentially homes on wheels and require many more parts and features than standard vehicles. To make those parts and features, companies use chemicals like TCE. TCE is a man-made chemical created in the 1920s and is used for a variety of industrial purposes like making refrigerants, a degreasing solvent for metal equipment, tool cleaners, paint removers, spray adhesives, carpet cleaners, and spot removers. The chemical is really useful because it is non-corrosive, non-flammable, and easy to recycle. But it has been found to cause kidney cancer, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and cardiac defects, and it is linked to leukemia, liver cancer, multiple myeloma, end-stage kidney disease, Parkinson's disease, scleroderma, and other adverse health effects, including various prenatal health defects. TCE contamination is an endemic problem in Elkhart. Dozens of polluted sites known as Brownfields dot the city, many of them contaminated with TCE or other volatile organic compounds. The city is also home to six Superfund sites, the most in the state, all of which are contaminated with TCE and additional similar chemicals. Two contamination plumes that would later become Superfund sites were discovered as IDEM was investigating separate adjacent TCE plumes. One of those is the Lane Street Groundwater Contamination Superfund site. In 2007, residents of the Meadow Farms neighborhood along Kirshner Lane were warned that contamination from the GeoCell Corporation sealant, caulking, and adhesive manufacturing facility at 2502 Marina Drive had migrated to their neighborhood, potentially contaminating their private drinking water wells. An environmental investigation found the presence of PCE, TCE, and other contaminants in soil and groundwater at the GeoCell facility and later dozens of nearby residential properties. A resident living on neighboring Lane Street concerned about the geocell contamination submitted samples from her well water to a private lab where testing found high levels of TCE and other toxic compounds. But the TCE had a distinct contaminant profile that did not match the contamination found at the geocell plume. The resident uncovered completely new TCE contamination from an unknown source. IDEM investigated, initially finding TCE at levels exceeding drinking water standards at 13 residences. The agency provided bottled water and installed water filtration systems at those residences, but the plume was migrating to the southwest, potentially contaminating more homes. To keep residents from drinking or using potentially contaminated water, the EPA hooked many residents to the city's water systems, and they abandoned their residential wells. According to the agency, one unidentified resident refused to be connected to city water. The site was added to the national priorities list, a list of the nation's most contaminated sites in 2009. While the extent of the contamination was being assessed, IDEM also looked for the contamination source. Inspectors collected groundwater samples and visited facilities at an industrial park just north of Lane Street and found three facilities that used or stored hazardous substances. One of those facilities belonged to Flex Steel Industries. Flex Steel Industries acquired Digert Seating, a vehicle furniture manufacturer, in 1997. The company occupied several buildings in the industrial park north of Lane Street. The EPA suspected at least one Digert Seating facility was the source of TCE. The EPA began interviewing company officials who denied the widespread use of degreasers or solvents. 
The company's former president of production, Greg Lucchese, said the company's maintenance department never had more than a gallon or two of solvent present at any time. The former owner, David Deigert, told the EPA he did not know of any contaminants used while he operated the companies between 1983 and 2007. In 2011, some residents living in the Lane Street Superfund site filed a lawsuit against Flex Steel, Deigert Seating, and company officials, alleging the company used TCE and instructed their employees to illegally dispose of TCE and other solvent waste. The lawsuit alleged the defendants implemented schemes to hide their illegal actions, which included a litany of violations including mail fraud, interstate wire fraud, obstruction of justice, and witness tampering. As part of the lawsuit, former employees provided written testimony about their experiences. The employees said the company regularly used C60, a TCE solvent degreaser, which would arrive in 55-gallon drums or in smaller 5- or 10-gallon buckets. The solvent was used to degrease seat frames, clean the glue gun equipment, or clean the installation tables. According to one employee, every time it rained, water would leak in behind the doors and puddle on the floor and under the conveyor belt, where a chemical sheen formed in the puddles due to C60 that dripped onto the floor. The puddles will be pushed outside using squeegees and push brooms. According to employee affidavits, Deigert seating supervisors, including Vice President of Production Greg Lucchese, would tell employees to dump excess solvent outside the back door of at least one building. Empty TCE containers, rags, and other TCE-contaminated equipment were placed in cardboard boxes and dumped with general trash into overflowing trash barrels, instead of being treated like a hazardous material. The cardboard would often be soaked with TCE before being thrown away. Employees also said the back of the installation area where employees would take smoke breaks and dump solvent was littered with contaminated rags, C60 cans, car parts, and other trash. Workers had to try to avoid cans of C60 rolling around in the parking lot. Those employee affidavits were used by consulting firm Keramita Inc. as part of IDEM and EPA's assessment of the source of the contamination. Keramita founder and CEO Vicky Keramita herself also submitted written testimony as a plaintiff's expert in the case, which she submitted to the agencies in 2013. In her affidavit, she wrote that the operations at Deigert Flex Steel are the source or the major contributing source of groundwater contamination at the Lane Street neighborhood. Later that year, Flex Steel settled the case for $6.25 million. EPA and IDEM continued their investigation into the source of the contamination in March 2016. The EPA sent letters to Flex Steel and two other companies informing them they may be liable for the cleanup. In October, the U.S. Department of Justice's Environment and Natural Resources Division and the Indiana Office of Attorney General filed a lawsuit against Flex Steel, alleging the company was responsible for paying for the cleanup. The company agreed to pay $9.8 million to settle the claim, but denies being responsible for the contamination. The EPA has chosen to clean up the Lane Street site through a treatment called in-situ groundwater treatment through enhanced bioremediation. The agency will infect nutrients and other compounds into the groundwater to encourage the growth of microorganisms that will eat the TCE and other toxic chemicals and reduce them into harmless compounds. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. 
our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Join the Naturalist for a unique one-mile easy hike on Trail 7 at the 4th Annual Candlelit Hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, December 10th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. The trail will be lit up for the night, and you will receive hot chocolate and cookies after the hike. Meet at the Tulip Poplar Shelter to learn about the creatures of the night and their winter survival skills. Enjoy a friend's trail hike at Brown County State Park on Sunday, December the 11th, from 11 to 11.45 a.m., this ADA-accessible hike will take you past an historic park gatehouse and a vista not available in a car. Learn about the work friends groups do for Indiana State Parks. Explore the construction of Monroe Lake Dam during a To Build a Reservoir history hike at the Salt Creek State Recreation Area at Lake Monroe on Wednesday, December 14th from 1.30 to 3 p.m. Learn about the geology and topography that made the reservoir possible. Sign up at bit.ly slash reservoir history hike 2022. Brown County State Park kicks off their winter hike series with a Brown County dog hike on Saturday, December the 17th from 11 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Strahl Lake parking lot for a hike on Trail 6, which goes around the Strahl Lake. Dogs must be on a leash. Join the park naturalist for a guided hike trail on Trail 7 around the Lake Ogle at Brown County State Park on Sunday, December 18th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Hear the history of the lake and learn about the animals that make the lake their home. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812 3344003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com This week's headlines were written by Norm Holly. Our feature was prepared and presented by Enrique Science with the Indiana Environmental Reporter. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced today's show and edited its audio. 
For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshlick. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. 